The key to winning big is using every little bit of knowledge to your advantage. At Odds Checker, we give you the edge. Better odds, better picks, and better offers to make you a better better. Why settle for less? Quickly compare the odds at every sportsbook to ensure that you're getting the best price to maximize your return. Visit us at www.oddschecker.com backslash US. Odds Checker. Sports betting smarter. Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 17th, 2020. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, uh, you remember when we did the show back in the day about... Um, the, the people we'd want to have in our home game, right? The five yeah. celebrities or whatever it was, the people from history and everything. I'd like to ha- uh, add uh, someone to that. I'd like to uh, make an, an amendment to mine. Okay. Uh, I want to have Jerry Seinfeld in my, my home game. That would be kind of funny. It would be funny. He'd be incredibly entertaining. He's incredibly rich. And then on top of it, I watched – have you you watched Comedians in Cars getting coffee? Yeah, I was just right. say, he can bring us coffee. Right, he can bring us coffee in a vintage car so we can admire the car. But uh, I like binge-watched it a little while ago, and I had some free time. I watched all, pretty much all the episodes, like in I don't know, four days or something. And uh, there's one episode, he's talking to someone. It, it might have been like uh, Michael Richards, for, for all I remember. But Yeah, that was one of the better ones. Yeah, and I think he says I, – I don't get this – because they were talking about playing chess, and he said there was some chess genius in the park or something. And he says, I don't get this whole, you know, competing thing. He's like, like I don't even understand, like, like poker. Like, y- you want my chips? You want my money? Here, take it. You can have it. <laughs> That's what he said on the show. And I thought, I've got to get this guy in my home game. That that, that would be, uh, yeah, that would be a benefit. <laughs> right? A multimillionaire sitting in your game going, oh, you want that pot? All right, I fold. You can have it. I don't need this money. Take it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh man! There sometimes there's just there's 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 too much money. You know what I mean? There there's a point where you you have too much money if you don't care that you lose that money to someone. Right? Somebody tricked you out of that pot. I don't care. I'm rich. That's there's just too much money. And that's you know when like when Bill Gates would sit down and the you know the one three games in Vegas yep. and stuff. You know, he really tried. He really did not want to lose that money because he cared. Seinfeld doesn't care. The perfect friggin' person for the home game. Of course, we don't have now, home games anymore. So, theoretically, that's that's the way all of us should treat gambling, right? That you take money that you can afford to lose, and not that you don't care. That's I guess is a difference between not caring and being able to afford it, right? Right. But, but that would be the perfect gambling world if, if no one lost more than they could afford to lose. Yes. That's right, because then it's not gambling; it's just entertainment. And, and, and yes, now it's the true entertainment, which is what we try to tell the outside world. And we know that's a little bit of BS, right? Right. <laughs> but, uh, but not a lot of BS. But there's a little bit of BS in it. Uh, and then that would make uh, that, that would make everything. They would go back to the old Rat Pack days, where everybody's just sitting around and playing blackjack and uh, drinking the martinis and uh, having a lot of fun and, and not worrying about anything. Exactly. I just think that would be a great addition to our home game. You know. Somebody in there who's just got tons of money, just making us laugh, bringing us coffee, or in my case, some sort of milk. And then, uh, you know, just say, yeah, I don't care if I lose. Who cares? We're having fun. We're talking. Yeah, baby. Give me your money. Yeah, they're going to be like, uh, Jerry, uh, Cassandra needs a uh, coffee. Uh, but no, 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 not cream. <laughs> milk, please. Please, 2%. <laughs> yeah, I gotta miss uh, our little Safety Harbor Poker Club tonight because I'm um, I'm uh, hosting this Deal or No Deal fundraiser tonight. So oh, that's I, right. I will not have any poker stories for next week's show, but maybe I'll have Deal or de- No Deal. Do, do you have to uh, put a uh, surgical glove 
on your head and blow it up until it's. Oh, explodes. no, here's the thing. I was telling people that I'm Howie Mandel, but just because Howie Mandel is host, now everybody thinks I'm going to show up dressed like him. So, yeah. So, <laughs> no, I'm not getting a bald cap to wear. I'm not inflating my glove on my hand. I'm not doing that kind of stuff. So I, I, <laughs> On your head. He puts the glove on his head, <laughs> not his hand. Oh, I can maybe put it on a hand and he does that. <laughs> All right, let's get to some some other poker besides deal or no deal. Because yeah, that, well, that was part of it too, right? Deal or deal. We used to talk about that all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you know, here's the man: deal or no deal. It's like there's some math involved, which yeah, yeah. is applicable to poker. So maybe I will have a story next week. We'll all right. Very good. Um, all right. So uh, we finally did it, Chris. We finally twisted the World Series of Poker's media machine around. They sent us two emails in the same week, so we combined it into one. <laughs> we didn't fall for it twice. Just the timing once. was off. <laughs> they could have expanded this the two weeks of the show, but no. Bad timing there. So uh, That's their fault, not ours. All right. <laughs> the World Series Poker has set us championship and value event schedules for this summer. The championship schedule features 16 events with buy-ins at $10,000 or more. One new event at this level has been added, a $10,000 online event, the highest buy-in for an online event. The $50,000 Poker Players Championship event expands the nine games this year with the addition of No Limit Deuces 7 Low Ball Draw. And this year will feature a separate leaderboard for all championship events. The value event schedule features 25 tournaments with buy-ins of $1,000 or less, including the Colossus, which is just 400 bucks. Five of the events will be freeze-outs, which uh, WSOP says was a concerted effort on its part this year. And most of the rest limit re-entries to just one. All right. See that's what they do. They're very fluid. They're like the, uh, I don't know, the Bill of Rights or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> you know, they're, whatever the hell it is. They're, they try to uh, whatever you know, the hell it is. Whatever what, that was. Yeah, the Constitution. You know, they they try uh, to that fifth grade to twelfth grade. I, I wasn't. You know. I wasn't really paying attention. I had a girlfriend, but uh, so I was going to make a rush joke there, but then I realized that's poor yeah, timing. That's so a little I, bad timing. So yeah. um, I was just thinking that if they played all the ten thousand events, at least bare minimum. You know, it's one. It's one hundred and sixty grand of the ten days. You know, what I mean, ten, and then the fifty thousand one. It's two. You're looking at like a quarter of a million dollars just to play all the championship events, basically. Yeah, that's crazy. And if you don't win any of them, or if you don't cash in a lot of them, or oh man, that's a serious setback for one year. Tough summer, right? Tough summer. Um, so I actually like both of these announcements. I like that they they made the poker players championship a little bit better, uh, or a little bit bigger. Better is subjective, right? Uh, yeah. I think it's better, but yeah. um, and because no limit deuce to seven, as everybody says, is like the true poker game. It's not played as much, certainly not at lower levels, but it is played often in those big games, and it is a it, that's the real roller coaster or hang on for dear life kind of game, right? Is yeah. You have zero information in that game other than that one draw where they take one, two, three, four, or five cards. That's it. Yep. So this is really – it's the game of staring into the soul of uh, your opponent. And uh, I would contend if you could be a consistent winning player in that game, which I don't know if anybody in the world is, um, you can be a consistent winning player in any game. Yeah, probably. Because your reading skills are perfect yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, or zero information. Box, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of new, uh, kind of cool. Um, and I really, there are two things I really like about this, whether I call them the value event schedules. That's funny. That's what I call my beers. <laughs> crap beers. I'm like, no, they're value brand beers. <laughs> um, one, the, the it, it's really great. I mean, you go back all the way 40 years ago when we both went out there, right? Um, uh, I think my event was 1,000, but yours was 1,500, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I might have it might have been the only thousand event on the schedule, right? So, um, and that's a lot of money for really it is even these days for for recreational players that's a lot of money to to pop down on, on one event. So the fact that they um, they now have at least twenty five of them in that and or less and a lot of them are less. Um, and then of course the Colossus, which is just you know massive tournament for four hundred bucks, which is you know which kind of the. the buying for like a monthly or quarterly event in your local room, right? So all within each of everybody. Um, so the fact that they, 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 they're giving everyday players a chance to get World Series glory and not have to, you know, satellite into a $10,000 event is, is fantastic, I think. So, um, and then on top of that, 
Uh, you know, we talked last week about the New Year's resolution about, you know, eliminating reentry tournaments. And I said, uh, that's silly. We shouldn't want to eliminate them. We should just want to offer a variety, right? So if you want to, if you want a multi buy in or multi reentry, then you have that opportunity. But you also have lots of other tournaments that are freeze outs or, or one in reentry. And this is like kind of what I was getting at is operators don't have to choose one or the other, right? Right. They, they can make a variety on their schedule, so you can make your your choice. And of course, the World Series of Poker is the you know the biggest baddest biggest variety <laughs> out there. So yeah. uh, the fact that they 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 said it was a concerted effort to not only make these events lower buy-ins, but also for those players that are plunking down that money and don't have that second bullet, they're not going to get bullied around by uh, you know Danny Negreanu's that could just you know keep firing new bullets. So yeah, yeah. They keep trying to make the World Series as, as complete as possible, and every year they change it. One of the things that they do, though, is they keep growing it to to accommodate. That's the thing. So eventually, they're gonna it's gonna become too big. It's gonna collapse on itself like a star. You know what I mean? It just it gets yeah. so big, it it just it, it can't handle it, and the gravity just pulls it all in. So um, they're getting they're getting close, though. I mean, I think they're satisfying a lot of needs with this series. So kudos to them, really. I mean, they they're just a huge corporation that can really you know focus its energy on this so good good for them and the fact that they have five freeze outs at that level as well too i mean uh we in addition to just not letting pros kind of roll over you in that um i i think it's a skill that even recreational players have forgotten or are not reinforcing enough because all the events they're in have late entry or re-entry so even your 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 weekly forty dollar event that you might go in where you do have two or three bullets that you can fire, um, you're not learning the um, the skills necessary for a tournament where it's one and done. Mm. You make that one mistake and you're out. Yep. Yep. Um, so uh, particularly if you're going out to, to Vegas uh, with hopes of satelliting into the main event, um, it would be good to play a couple of these smaller freeze-outs if your bankroll allows so you can get used to that before you satellite into the big dance and realize that <laughs> you don't have another bullet and yeah. nobody else does either yeah because again it's not just you not having that bullet it's it's other players have to adjust to not having their own bullets right extra bullets so um the play is i don't want to say dramatically different because that's too dramatic <laughs> but um smart players play differently in freeze outs and if you don't adjust to that then uh, you're gonna have some trouble i think so yeah yeah um, one other thing too is uh, I know I'm probably going a little bit further back in time that we should, but you know, I look at these re-entry events as the same as other events have their own particular quirks. So I don't have a problem with them, and I love that they, you know, they've limited it to one re-entry or whatever. But if you say, hey, we never gave rebuy entries or rebuy events any problems, we never complained about them. Why? Because people say, well, I just don't like entering rebuys, so I'm not going to. But when the re-entries are available, they're like, I want to enter, this, I want to play this one. And it's like, okay, well, how do you not look at that any differently than a rebuy? I'm not saying as far as attacking it or as far as approach to play it, but if you don't want to play it, you don't play it. This is the same thing. Like, it was Matt Savage on was it Facebook, I guess, was asking the same question about re-entries and everything just a little while ago. And I put that on there, and like, not one person reacted to what I said. Like, not one. Not one like, not one, you're a jerk, you're a dumbass, nothing. Just just nothing. And I'm like, he's got a million followers, and they're all having this argument, and not one person said, hey, you know, you're right, or you're a dumbass. I mean, nothing. I was, it surprised the hell out of me. So I don't know if it was just such a perfect answer, or it was just the most stupid answer. Nobody wanted to be associated with it. But I felt like re-entries, if you don't want to enter a re-entered you know, tournament, then you don't, just like people avoided rebuys. None of this controversy was around when it was rebuys. Rebuy is essentially the same thing, except you get to stay at the table, which is even more beneficial. And you don't pay the rake again. And you don't pay the rake again. I just don't. I don't see how that bothers yeah, people. Subtle differences. So I mean, I, 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 there are some people that can probably rightfully. There, there are arguments where you can rightfully complain about rebuys, but not reentries, or reentries not rebuys. Yeah. But, but, but generally speaking, you're right. Yeah, are. and it didn't rise to this. Like you know, I mean, but we've had rebuys like a all forever. They both look alike. Uh, they're both the same animal, just uh, with different costumes. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm ready to move on. I don't, something just came to my head, and I wanted. To, I, I remembered that, and I wanted to because we're talking about reentries again. I wanted to say it before we moved on. So anyway, yeah. All right. Let's go. 
my equestrian comment, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the selection process for this year's Global Poker Awards, which will be March 6th in Las Vegas, has changed. Instead of a nomination panel voting in all categories, the new process will have the panel vote in the categories they are most in tune with. For example, media members will choose the media winners. Fans will also continue to have a role in deciding the winners. A total of 25 awards will be doled out with some new ones, including Twitter Personality of the Year and People's Choice for Toughest Opponent. This is the one that gets me. This this last part right here. I, I mean, all the other stuff's fine, whatever. You want to have guys who know what they're talking about. That's why, you know, detectives always write detective novels and all that stuff because they're experts in their field. So, But this part right here. How does there exist an award where people will choose who's tough that they don't even play against. The People's <laughs> Choice Award is like me and you voting for, oh, I think Phil Ivey's the toughest player. How do I know? I've never sat across well, from him. Because right. I mean, what you see on TV me. or something? Come you on. You see it on, on streaming. It's, it's, yeah. You don't know what that. You don't know if he's tough or if the other guy's just horrible. You know, Plus, the stuff you see on TV is edited. I mean, you don't know what you're seeing there. You don't yeah, know what it's like to face know, there's him. There's a lot of a lot of chatter on you know two plus two. <laughs> oh, good. So yeah, about who's tough or not and why they're tough. So yeah, I don't know. Good. It's yeah, a, it's a for fun thing. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody's gonna put uh, people's choice for toughest opponent on their tombstone. So <laughs> let's not make it too important there. But I just found that hilarious. How do people know how tough Phil Ivey is to sit across from if they've never sat across from him? Come on. That's ridiculous. Uh, all right. Well, if your rant's over, I'm going to go back to the, the regional part. Of the um, I, I will give them uh, Global Poker Awards a lot of credit. They really put a lot of thought into how to change it up this year. Um, like everything, when you when you change something, you you know you create other problems. I think so. Uh, we'll see what happens down the road. Maybe not, but. Um, but it does make a little bit more sense. It's kind of like uh, the Oscars, right? You know, you, you vote if you're in the Oscar panel, you vote for your your categories, and um, other than like the big ones. But because um, you you know, if you're an actor, you don't know anything about cinematography, right? So what the cinematography people vote on those folks, right? I guess so. You're... I give credit for that. Uh, what was interesting though is we did get our ballots yesterday, and I did vote. Um, and there's a couple other things I didn't mention here. One, you can't vote for yourself anymore. Right. right. Um, and what they said was that there are folks that, you know, you're kind of raised not to vote for yourself, so you don't. But then there are other people who are shameless promoters and vote for themselves. So they wanted to be clear that you can't vote for yourself. Uh, that way there's no, you know, making folks that feel it's weird to vote for yourself feel like you have to vote for yourself so you can win, right? Right. So they did that. And they also limited – the um, the people you could vote for that you have a relationship with in a sense. So um, so again, it's trying trying to get away from the whole Homer mentality, um, and partially that's one of my complaints that I've been on the show is that you know these awards have been all for pros, all for Las Vegas, West Coast, South Florida folks, and you know poker players elsewhere. Um, or events or tournaments or casinos uh, got the shaft because those big people don't go to those places, right? So um, so uh, I think they made some good inroads on that. Um, so um, we were selected to choose, uh, and we we're not allowed to say the nominees and everything, but uh, we were selected to uh, vote for podcasts, which makes sense. Let me ask you a question before we... One, I think it's ironic that you're not seeing that we gave them kudos for saying it's important for the people in the media to vote on the people in the media because they know the people in the media and they're familiar with it, yet you say it's perfectly acceptable to have a People's Choice Award for toughest opponent when they don't know how that toughest opponent plays. Well, but again, those are different awards, right? Those are more fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? That's what I'm saying. You said they, they made a big concerted effort to make it more accurate, and then boom. Well, but those are fan votes, too, versus uh, industry professional votes. There's yeah. A, there's yeah. a difference there, right? It's yeah. like the um, People's Choice Awards on TV instead of the Oscars, right? So, you know, you, you're never going to have the, – those those two movies are never going to be the same, right? <laughs> Oh man! Like Frozen Two is going to win all the time, and the people's choice. But and then the part about voting for yourself—that was interesting because that's how the first was it the first World Series ever. They 
Like opinion went around and said, okay, who's the best player? And that's how, and they, they knew they'd vote for themselves. So they said whoever they voted for second, they took second place votes and figured out who would win or whatever. And so that's another reason why they eliminated it because they know that you'd vote for yourself if you could, even though you're not supposed to. So that's smart, yeah. smart, smart thing to do. It's turning around pretty quickly too. I wonder, are they going to vet the information? Like in other words, yeah, no, they actually, will. They, they vet it. Okay, yeah, cool. They did mention that uh, they're going to actually go through them hand by hand. So I, I don't want to be in that room because that's a lot of work. And to the to the the best of their knowledge, uh, they will eliminate ballots that they think violate the rules. So, because I was uh, curious about like how they're going to know who's going to define what a relationship is. Well, yeah, and that's an interesting thing because I kind of uh, wondered about that because um, you know, for example, like um, Auntie Up and Matt Savage don't have a relationship, right? Um, but we're friends, and he does. Uh, direct one event in one of our series, right? So right. is that enough to disqualify that? Um, does, does that mean I'm not allowed to also vote for another tournament director that runs one of our events and, by the way, I think is absolutely fantastic and worthy, right? Right, exactly. Um, but how do you know those, I mean, the, those those tentacles, I guess? I mean, where do they all go, right? So, And how do they know? Yeah, so I think the obvious ones might get flagged, but the the less obvious ones won't. And um, on the honor you know, system, I guess like some Seinfeld. people complain about that not being fair, but I think they're making an effort to make it as fair as possible, and I have faith that they will. So right, they're hoping to have the honor system like Seinfeld. It comes back to Seinfeld again. Yeah, <laughs> everything <laughs> comes back to Seinfeld. <laughs> All right, any updates? Our Restock the Shelves Food Bank initiative with Blue Shark Optics has started with events all month at 10 poker venues around the country and special events this week at Foxwoods Resort in Connecticut, Firekeepers Casino Hotel in Michigan, and Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in North Carolina, and events at more poker rooms later this month. Go to AnnieUpMagazine.com slash restock for more details on all events, and remember that your home game can participate by collecting food and or cash for a local food bank in your community, email us at podcast at com. after your home game uh, with a photo and what food bank you benefited, how much you collected, so we can include you in our wrap-up article in Annie Up Magazine. The schedule for the Annie Up Winter Poker Classic at Gila River Hotels and Casinos Viquiva near Phoenix has been released. The 21-event series will run March 14th to 29th, culminating in a four-flight, $460 main event, the winner of which will appear on the cover of Annie Up. The schedule is full of variety, including two Omaha events, a women's championship, three multi-game events, and a triple draw event. Full details will be available soon at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Viquiva. Also, we have three upcoming Annie Up poker cruises next year, including a short Easter sailing to Cozumel, a 15-night transatlantic from Tampa to Amsterdam, with stops in Bermuda, the Azores, and Ireland, and a seven-night Western Caribbean sailing from Galveston, Texas. For all details, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. And I'll uh, just interject real quick to say our um, the final payment for our Easter cruise is coming up next week. Um, you can still book after that, but we cannot guarantee the rate or availability. So if you want to go on that cruise... Get that book soon. Yep. And then the Transatlantic, too, is completely sold out on Royal Caribbean. Uh, we still have about seven or eight uh, staterooms that we can sell you. But uh, once that expires, which will be in a couple weeks as well, too, those will be snapped up. So if you want on either one of those first two cruises we have this year, the Easter one or the Transatlantic, uh, you need to be picking up that phone right now and calling Judy from Time Life or Gene <laughs> from Because <laughs> Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com. If they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This comes from an anonymous poker events manager. He says, I'm trying to figure out a rakeback system that entices more players to come play cash games. I have a $5 max rake like normal. A plus $1 comes in to play after $20. That $1 goes toward a $3,000 free roll for cash players every six months. They really enjoy it, so I won't change that. But it also goes to pay for $10 toward uh, lunch if they arrive at noon and play for two hours. It also goes toward miscellaneous lunch I cover for cash players sometimes. I was considering doing a $4 max rate from noon to 3 p.m. and then $5 after. My struggles are getting people there at noon. Wanted to consider a minimum hours played per month for rake back. Not sure how much to give back for how many hours. 
There are six events a month on average, so around 72 max hours a month. What do you think? Would dropping the max rake be better than a rake back to entice them earlier or start doing a $1 per hour rake back? Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure you have something planned for this. I don't think dropping the max rake will get them back at noon. It'll get them back, but for three hours of play, you're talking about a handful of pots that they might win, and they're going to save 4 or $5 maybe if they're lucky, if they happen to play those three hours too. So I don't know if that would be the answer, but I'll go ahead. Say what you want to say. No, yeah, um, I, I have a longer thing that I, that I sent this this person um, that I can't quite remember in detail right now. But um, at the other day, this is really a good question for the any of uh, nations. So because um, it's really asking what what would entice players to get there early. That's that's the ultimate goal here, right? right. So um, I really think uh, players need to be the one that say, "Hey, this is what you could do to get me there," or. You can do all this stuff, and I'm still not getting there at noon because I just don't wake up by noon, right? So um, that's the best thing. Uh, I would say from the operator standpoint, I I think you you don't want to drop the rake um, because that's going to end up costing you more, and you have, uh, and I don't want to say an inability, but a struggle to get that money back by getting people there early. Um, But certainly, you know, rake backs or things like that, um, anything you can get put back in the pockets of players that um, show up early to get those games going, that will cost you less and might be more interesting to them as well, too. Because um, I think to your point, I'm like, uh, you know, $5 rake, $4 rake, uh, I don't think a lot of players really care about that. You know, if the rake's $10, then people care about it, right? Right. But, um, you know, I... I I know there. I, there's always everybody. There's always somebody at the table when he gets six-handed. That's the first one to go rake reduction, right? Yeah. There's always somebody watching that. But for the most part, it's one guy at the table, right? Right. Everybody else, four hours, five hours, it doesn't matter that much, or even six. So, um, so if the idea is to encourage me to get there early by telling me that you're taking a dollar out of a pot, um, where I might win two or three pots an hour, um. I don't think that's strong enough to get me there. And uh, from an operator standpoint, I know it's it's very costly, right? Yeah. So, um, but people like individual things, I think. I think it's just a weird psychosis of, of human beings to begin with, but poker players too. So, you know, I mean, that's why they'll... We, we had that call to Flora, what, a couple of weeks ago, where the guy waited for two hours to get a table. And then ran away, table, yeah. And got there and then left so yeah. he could get the... Two dollar an hour comp or whatever it is, right, went. right. So um, that two dollars doesn't mean anything to him, but it's his, right? So he felt like he got it, and that makes it more worth more than the two dollars, right? So, um, so you know, if he's talking about this dollar per hour rake back or something like that, um, that that actually might be more effective, and certainly be less costly. For, the the uh, thing that uh, is hard for us to answer is that I really don't know what your limitations are when it comes to say. You know the the state laws and stuff. I like if you're allowed to offer high hands or something like that for that three hours, or if there's some sort of promotion, like I don't know, maybe giving away an Antioch Poker Cruise package for for those three hours. You know, I don't know what it is, but if if you can find three thousand dollars every six months for those guys, maybe you make it. I know you're you're not going to change that, but maybe that money that whatever money's left over, maybe it's hey from noon to three we give away you know, $50 high hands or I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what your budget is. I don't know what you're allowed to do in your area. But, uh, for me, for, for and Scott, this gets back to what Scott said about individual. If I know that I'm going to get my butt there for noon, because I have a chance that if I make a full house every 15 minutes, you're going to pay somebody 20 bucks or every hour, you're going to pay somebody a hundred or something. I might go down there for three. Cause I have a chance of winning a hundred to $300. But if right. you're going to take off a dollar from a rake that I may win a pot on once a once an hour or twice an hour, I'm I'm going to sleep in another two hours instead of getting four dollars from you on the two pots that I won. So, right. but individually, if I know I can win a hundred bucks by going there, that changes my whole day. That changes my whole ROI, everything. So I don't know if they can offer that stuff, but rake back, and it's so the other thing about rake back, you have to keep track of all that. Like that's. That's more paperwork to me. That's more tabulation. That's more responsibility. Well, yeah, but I assume you're already doing this, so it's not like it's creating a new system. Okay. Uh, I mean, if it is creating a new system, then yeah, that is um, 
that that would be a consideration for me. If you're already doing a uh, rake back or comp system and you're just trying to juice it a little bit, then 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 I don't think it's that that's that. Okay. Chart. You're right. If you're starting from scratch, that is. So, I mean, really, ultimately, you need to look at what what really would drive somebody in there. And I think you're right. If there's like some kind of really special promotion for those two hours for people to come out. I mean, it could even be. Um, in fact, actually, it's really interesting to me watch um, really small poker rooms what they do because the really small poker rooms struggle with this all the time um, because you know they they need to get eight, nine people in there to get a cash game going. Because usually the small rooms are usually the older players, and so they don't want to play shorthanded. Right. So it makes it even harder to get a game going. You know, if you got people that don't mind playing shorthanded, you get that game going six-handed, and then if we all know, as soon as that game gets going, it fills up right away. But you can never convince those old folks of that, right? Right. <laughs> they don't want to play that three or four hands to get it going. Um, so uh, you know, a lot of these smaller rooms really do struggle with, with getting that first game going during the day. So it, it, it's always been interesting to me on my travels to see what they kind of do. And a lot of them do uh, free roll tournaments. So you at least get in the door and then they hope that you, you know, you, you get the, the feeling to play. And then if you get knocked out, then you'll jump into um, um, a cash game. Right. Um, uh or they also, you know, sometimes they do breakfast or donuts or whatever, something like that. I mean, there is something that you said about food there at noon that's free um, of some sort of mini buffet or something. I don't know if it's donuts, but something like that. That kind of helps get people in. Yeah. Um, or you could even do some kind of, uh, you know, a special promotion for players that are there from noon to two. Maybe it's not like what you mentioned where it's a, you win something then, but um, – you know, it could be like a, a rake chase or something. I mean, there was a room in California I know that did that where uh, the players, top 30 players, the uh, 30 players that played the most during the month got invited back to a free roll, right? Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. So, you, But you could do it just for, for hours. the most hours from noon to two, yeah, right? Yeah. So now that the only way you qualify for that at all is to be there from noon to two. So, yep, yep. Lots of ideas like that. But, yeah, I, I think uh, the, the, the reducing the rake is not the way to go. No. So. Okay, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is set up a J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of any poker cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. comes from Jerry Haynes. In a home game, action folded to a mid-position player who raised. Once action folded to the cutoff, it was determined that the button had not moved after the previous hand. We made the decision that significant action had occurred and that the hand should continue. Upon completion of the hand, we decided that since the current big blind had been forced to post a big blind and ante twice, that it did not make sense to have him post a small blind, so we moved the button to him. This meant that the new small blind did not have to post a big blind in ante. So I think we had the small, uh, the new small blind also post a big blind, but not an ante. Did we make the correct decision on significant action? How do you handle button moves, blinds, and antes when a mistake like this happens? All right, Elliot says, this is a case where simple is better. Playing the hand to completion due to significant action was correct. After that, everything became way too complex. The standard solution is to move the button to the very next seat and the players to its left post the blinds and ante. Newton's laws regarding action and reaction will make almost every other solution except this too complex and unfair. This is what happened here. Every player is supposed to to pay two blinds and one ante, and that is, that is what each pot, every hand, is to contain at the start of action. These are the circumstances that make tournaments fair and equitable. If someone pays two big blinds and antes, this may be painful to them, but, but all they had to do was pay attention and point out the air prior to action commencing. I agree. You agree? Yeah, I mean, you start getting into the... There's, there's, if you think about it, you're trying to find the best solution here, right? And there is no best solution um wherever you move it uh people are paying blinds that they already did or they didn't or they're not paying blinds they should have um ultimately what this came down to was everybody at the table made a mistake right yeah no one paid uh, attention. not just the dealer that didn't move the button everybody at the table didn't pay attention that the button didn't move right and, and so therefore everybody factors into that that punishment it's just unfortunate that the the big blind got socked twice particularly in a big blind ante situation, that really hurts, right? But that player also had the responsibility to pay attention to the buttons. So it sucks, 
but that's why you got to pay attention. So. Right, and just because that one person suffered doesn't mean everyone has to suffer now. Everyone else should still have to pay what they're supposed to pay. So just move the button and continue normally. That's it. Bottom line. Nope. Nope. Hey, all right, we have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a 50 cent $1 No Limit Hold'em home game. The game is six-handed. Everyone at the table bought in for $100 and we currently sit with 117. We're familiar with these players so we know their tendencies pretty well. The blinds post, the end of the gun, and hijack limp in. We're in the cutoff with the four of hearts, tray of hearts. I like to mix up my ranges quite a bit here, and since we're only one off the button, we make it $5 to go. The button and hijack both call, but the other players fold. With $17.50 in the pot, the flop is the seven of clubs, four of clubs, tray of diamonds. So we flopped bottom two pair on a coordinated board. Once the hijack checks, we decide to make a value bet. We put $12 into the pot, bringing us down to our starting stack of 100. The button calls. This player can be kind of tricky. He's a decent player and will pounce when he senses weakness. He started the hand with 145. The hijack folds. With 4150 in the pot, the turn is the eight of diamonds. I don't think this card changes all that much. If we were ahead on the flop, we're ahead here too. We make it $30 to go, leaving us 70 behind. The hijack thinks for about a minute before putting in a call. There's $101.50 in the pot, and the river is the king of hearts. This pot is a decent size, but a part of me feels like if we check, we're going to get shoved on. Ultimately, we slow down and check. The button thinks for a brief moment before shoving. So, we have a decision to make here. What's the move? This is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti-Up. All right, it's time for the advanced pokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And Chris, you might remember, although you might because your memory's horrible. But uh, last week we had uh, Matt Easterbrook in here with a hand, and he had two hands. So we, uh, we did one, and then we're going to come back um, and do the second one here. And uh, just to go refresh your mind a little bit, it's a recent home game they played in. Uh, all players they went to school with, they get together four times a year. They all know each other very well. Uh, this hand is the same villain as last week, uh, also named Matt. Um, and he's the only player in this hand that our hero gives much credit to as a poker player. He's very loose and will play almost any two cards preflop, but his raising range preflop is fairly standard. He's an aggressive player who knows he can usually win pots with a C-bet. He knows I have a good understanding of the game relative to the other players, but he sees me as someone he can push off of hands. Hmm. All right. So uh, the second hand comes a little after the uh, the hand that we talked about last week. He says blinds are now 1,000, 2,000, and our hero stack has slightly decreased to squiggly 40,000. Uh, he says, I'm getting uh, towards an all-in or fold territory, uh, but Matt's the only person who has me covered so far, so I'm happy to go a little longer. It's folded the Matt in the small blind. Uh, who raises to 5,000. I looked down at the Queen of Clubs, Ten of Clubs, and the Big Blind. I'll just call. You know, I got position on him now. I mean, there's no, there's no reason to re-raise with uh, marginal Scott Longhand. Uh, so I, I like that it's suited. I like that it's Broadway cards. I like that he's probably just trying to be Matt, you know, that silly Matt that we know. And uh, I'm going to call and just see what happens. I, I, I mean, I raise, I'll have position on the guy, but then he shoves on me, and then I'm like, I'm going to go to battle with Queen-10? I don't think so. So I don't mind calling. Yeah, you're in a little bit of a tricky spot here, and it, it, it may not look tricky right now, but this is why it's always important to understand your chip stack and what's going on here. So um, so we have uh, about 20 big blinds, so he's right. We're getting close to all in or full, but we're not there yet. Um, so certainly we're not going to go all in with Queen-10 here, right? Right. Um, the other thing too is we're in an unfortunate spot because the guy who has us covered is in the small blind, so he's the one guy that can knock us out of this tournament right now. Yeah. Um, and that kind of gives him kind of a, a fair game or free range to uh, raise our big blind every time. 
um, and, and take those blinds because he knows that we're going to have to have a hand to play back at him, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, that means that his range is pretty wide now, so our queen 10 could uh, be ahead of that um, and very likely could be. Um, but I don't think you want to raise back now because when you raise back, now you're really getting into that all in fold um, at that point and you're playing uh, uh, heads up here right now, which is really difficult. So um, at this point, you know, it's only 2,000. Um, we're not in the all inner fold, so I think we can afford to take the flyer. And um, he, oh, ra- well, he, he, ra- he raised to five, so it's three 5, more 000. for us. Yeah, so that's yeah. a little different. So, yeah, so that would get us down to 35. Um, yeah, but, you know, here, here's the thing is I really think his range is really big now, so I'm willing to make this call. And if we hit this flop, then I feel pretty good about it. So, um, and and you need to also from time to time, you know, play back at these folks and make sure that they don't let run over you. So at this point, uh, I think the uh, the somewhat minimal raise two and a half x um, is worth calling here. And uh, we got some potential here, right? Again, we're heads up with a guy with a wide range, so a queen, a ten, um, a couple clubs or a couple uh, face cards here, and I'll feel a lot better about this hand. So Okay. All right, our hero says, I think really hard about this one. I don't want to let him steal my blind like I know he enjoys doing, but I don't want to be drawn into a tough situation with a tempting, albeit fairly troublesome hand. I decide to make the call. After all, if the flop doesn't look good, I can fold and still have a decent-sized stack. Uh, with the pot at uh, 10,000, the flop comes queen of spades, nine of diamonds, seven of hearts. And our opponent bets seven thousand. Uh, I like this flop. Um, I'm not calling. Uh, I'm raising. I, I'm. I want to take control of this hand now. I've hit the top pair. I've got a decent kicker. I've got backdoor straight draws. Um, I. I just don't trust this guy. And it's a big enough pot now for me to make a raise here. So probably going to shove because uh, I'm going to bet twenty one grand of my thirty five. I might as well just shove. So. I'm probably just going to shove on him now. And if I'm wrong, I mean, I got top pair in the blinds, you know, against the blind who loves to steal from me, who plays loosey-goosey. I'm I'm happy to shove here. If I'm wrong, I've got outs because I can make a straight. I can make two pair. I can make three queens. And this guy's got kings or some weird holding. But, um, I mean, I can get value for the hand and try, but I don't know. I always want to be in control if I can. If you make a min-raise and then he shoves, then I'm like, oh, man. But... You know, I I don't want to lose that much of my stack on a cutesy play. I'm just going to shove and make the decision easy. Put it all on him. Yeah, if we take it down right now, that's a pretty big jump for our stack, right? So yeah, get us out of that shove territory. Probably. The value is already there, and um, you know, if we do get cute and call here, and a king or ace comes, what are we going to do now after that? Right? You know, right. We've, we've committed twelve thousand of our forty thousand here, and now we're going to feel a little scared. So you know, if we if we shove here and they fold. That's fine because we. This is not a hand that we were overly excited about being in to begin with, right? So yeah. uh, now we don't have to fade it. Don't have to make any more decisions. Um, and I think you're right. I think here's the the mindset you need to go in with this hand because you knew you were in your stack size. You decided to to make this uh, min raise call or slightly more min raise call. Um, and that's what I said. A queen ten, couple clubs, couple face cards. I'm getting it in, and I got. That's what I got. I got top pair, um, decent kicker, heads up. Uh, I'm shoving. Yeah, I mean, me I don't, there's any other play here to be honest. Yeah, let's shove. All right, here it says this is another tough one. I respect mass raises and know he'll have a decent holding, but I have top pair with a gut shot straight draw. My feeling is that I have the stronger hand at the moment, but I'm not certain. I don't want to fold this hand, so I decide to call. Um. He doesn't have a gut shot yet. He has runner, runner, right? Yeah, runner, runner. Yep. Okay, yeah, you don't have a gut shot yet, but still, that's backdoor outs. Those are half outs. Half outs. Half outs. <laughs> yeah, here's the problem with the call now. Like I said, if, uh, if a scary card comes on the turn, now you're really forced into a tough decision at that point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, people could say if we shoved here and he called, uh, it's not going to change what the Turner River cards are, which is true. But if we shoved and got somebody to fold with, like, you know, I don't know, king six or something, I don't know, something like that, a uh, hand that you, you would feel emboldened to, to raise in a blind versus blind but then not really carry through, then you've picked it up. But now if you give uh, give him a chance to hit that king, then we're in a tough spot. So this is why I really would have shoved there. So 
Yeah, I would have showed. And, I, and the, again, the call, the only the good thing about a call is that if he doesn't have anything and he thinks you're drawing, or if he has something no- nominal and he thinks you're drawing, he'll bet again now, and then you can shove, you know, but you have to really know your player. It, it, it seems like your call is like a draw. So if something blank comes and he bets, then you know, boom, now I think this guy doesn't have, you know, as strong as he does or whatever. You know what I mean? There's a chance for you getting more chips out of him, but for the most part, we don't we don't like calling here. Um. Uh, boy, I just had a, had a thought there, but I just forget. Oh, I know. Here's the other thing that's really important about this spot too is that we're the two chip leaders at the table, right? Right. So Matt can knock us out of the tournament because he's got uh, more than we do, right? Uh, but Matt's also scared of us because if he has to get it all in with us and loses, then he goes from chip leader to a very short stack, right? So. Right. Um, to, to use another Seinfeld fr- uh, reference, uh, no one has hand in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, remember that. I mean, I think you you tend to think if somebody can knock you out that you're the weak, you're in the weaker spot, but you're not. You're in a very similar spot. Um, that opponent should fear you as much as you fear them. So, by shoving there, um, he's got to have a, a a a decent hand to call that shove now. Um, so, yep. All right, uh, pot's now at 24,000. The turn is the tray of diamonds. Our board now is queen of spades, nine of diamonds, seven of hearts, tray of diamonds. And our opponent thinks for a while and bets 20,000. Yeah, I'm still shoving. I mean, I, I, I can't fold top pair blind blind against a guy who's loose like this. And imagine if if you fold now, you're, you're going to be looking for crappy hands to shove. And they're not, you know, I mean, I'm not crap. You're going to be stuck with crappy hands probably to shove, is what I mean. And so. You've got top pair here. Might as well shove now. And the, the hand that this guy could be playing right here, it could be anything. It could be middle pair. It could be nothing. Um, you know, the odds of him having king, king, ace, ace, a better queen, or a set are just, they're they are pretty rare. Um, I feel like you, you are ahead here. I, I, don't, I don't see any reason to just keep calling, and I'm not folding. I'm not folding top pair, so I might as well shove. Yep. Well, you know, we would have shoved all along. So, uh, yeah. and this this tray of diamonds should not have changed a single thing now. Right. So, uh, now if, if anything, the only thing that's changed is the amount of money in the middle is massive now. So, yeah, uh, we need to win this pot, um, cripple Matt, and then, geez, I mean, I don't know, we don't know everybody else's chip stacks, but we would, I mean, obviously we'd be up to eighty thousand because that's what we started forty, right? Yeah. Um, that that's we're gonna be tough to beat at that point. So, um, all right. Our hero says this is a horrible situation to be in. If I call, I'm left with just eleven thousand behind, so that's not an option. It's either all in and risk losing with just top pair, um, and losing a potential player of the year bonus, which I can only win by finishing better than Matt in this tournament. Or fold and be left with a very small stack. I'm cursing myself for playing a hand that I probably should have just folded, and for not shoving on the flop, which I probably should have done too. I can easily see Matt having a better queen. I doubt he's made this straight, but it's possible. Uh, he was trying to steal with the big blind with 10-8. I think for a good two minutes inside, I'd rather not take the risk. Uh. Maybe I should be more prepared to lose in order to win, but in this hand, I'm just too chicken to make the call. I say good bet and muck my hand. Uh, later in the evening, Matt tells me he had a pair of nines. Oh. I don't know how truthful he's being, as I've known him to lie about his whole life before, but it makes sense given the way he plays me. I know I played this one badly. I managed to survive for a while longer thanks to picking up the blinds, but ended up losing in a three-way all-in later in the night when my ace nine of clubs lost to Matt's queen eight of clubs as he hit trip eights on the turn. If I had played this hand better, I think I would have ended up winning as I had become the dominant stack, and no, I could have used it well. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't fault you for playing the hand. That's just, this guy is crazy loose. He's the chip leader. You have a chance to really make a big dent in his stack and become the massive chip leader. You had a suited queen ten in the blinds. I would defend with that a lot. You know, yeah. Remember, queen seven is like the dividing line, right? And that's not even suited, right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, half the hands are redder than that. Half the hands are worse. So, that's. Uh, I, I think you're way too loose if you're folding queen ten suited here and and a heads up at this point. Um, way, too, way too tight. Way too tight. Yeah, I'm sorry. Way too tight. Yeah, yeah right. sorry. Yeah. Quite, yeah. quite different, but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, the only tricky thing was the chip stack, but even that, I mean, you know, there's not much difference in uh, 40,000 versus 35,000 when the blinds are 1,000, 2,000 at that point. Right. Um, 
That's I mean, right. you're still really at that shover fold. Um, and, and again, remember, still there's still a lot of players out there that don't think shover fold happens until 10 big blinds. So um, it, the whole reason of shoving and folding is to put pressure on people to fold, right? So um, if other players feel like shover fold is 10 big blinds and you're shoving with 15, you're putting a lot of pressure on them, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's not any different than 20 big blinds. So it was quite all right to take that flyer, and if you completely miss that flop and – and he bet big, then you know it is what it is. And then now you just have to be that—that that was your your one time, right? And then now you got to play a little tighter yeah. uh, going forward, but or, or more selective, not tighter necessarily. Uh, but after that, yeah, once you hit that—that that, I mean, that's 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 about as best of a flop as you can hope for. I mean, obviously, you know, if you want to dream the world and flop your flush or straight and or three queens and all that other stuff, that's great. But in this situation, top pair with a couple. And you know a nine and a seven out there, absolutely. Yeah, I'm quite happy with that. That and shoving, and hope it works out. Well, yeah, I agree. And Scott plays way more tournaments than I do, so I mean, for him to say that, that's that's probably the right way to go. I, I just I I can't imagine getting a better hand now after folding it, you know, and then being stuck with whatever it was he had left twenty something we have 40 and instead seven so that was yeah so five so 35 and seven was 28 so i mean really now you're now you're definitely in shove mold mold and you you know you're never going to get better than that you're going to be so lucky if you somehow picked up jacks or kings or queens to shove with in the next round you know and you put another thousand in too on the next hand yeah so you, thousand on the next hand, right yeah, so, uh, so the only good thing is after you get through that small blind and maybe you get a good hand i mean that, that'd be fantastic if that happened if not then then you've got you know four or five, I don't know how many people at the table now, but free hands after that to, to really make your choice on where you go. But yeah, yeah. Um, but imagine the difference between 14 or 13,000 and 80,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty dramatic, right? Yeah, so. yeah. That's a tough one, but uh, just you know, aggressive poker wins. You know, it was winning poker, so just remember that, especially against a guy who's always tough on you like that by playing every every hand or being loose or whatever, so... All right, well, all right, Matt. At least you uh, you got something from us. That's that's always good, right? Back to back, too. That's an honor. Not not many uh, people get to have hands of the week two, twice in a row, right? Yeah, that's your name, Vic. So. <laughs> that's your name, Vic. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at two zero six. 338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>